We're still in our, our series, Peculiar People, and uh, right now we're still in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we saw the absolute significance and just magnificence of our salvation. The fact that we have been born again into a living hope through Jesus, given an eternal inheritance that won't change, can't be corrupted or polluted, will never fade away, that it's kept in heaven for us. And until we catch up to that, we ourselves are guarded by the very power of God. That's what we saw last week. And uh, hopefully it just ignited your heart with, with awe and with gratitude and with joy at the salvation that is yours. I hope that's true of you and, and uh, that it continued to do that throughout the week. Now, as we continue on, we'll be in verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19 is our text. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19. And I will be reading from the ESV today. And uh, just as we did last week, I, I want to break this passage up into a couple uh, distinct categories or areas of focus. And uh, the first area, the first section is our response to salvation, our response to salvation. Uh, last week, we, we went through the details of how glorious our salvation is, and, and Peter spent a lot of time making sure his readers got the significance of their salvation. So now in verse 13, he says, therefore, and whenever you see therefore in the text, it's referring back to what was previously stated. It's saying in light of this, in light of what was just said or expressed, here's what this means now. So therefore, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. And that's literally in the, in the Greek that was writ, it was written in, that's literally girding up the loins of your mind. Girding up the loins of your mind. And what would happen in, in this culture in which this was written and uh, long before the culture that this was written in, uh, people, I think we, we understand, people went around not wearing jeans and shorts and things like that. I mean, there were, most of the time, it was you know, long gown robe type things. And so especially uh, think of like the Roman soldiers or other soldiers before them in this time, when they would be ready for battle, they would have to gather up the, the material that they were wearing, gather it up and tuck it into a belt so that they would be free to move. Uh, there's a, a really uh, vivid example of this in the Old Testament with Elijah as he was fleeing as he was trying to outrun uh, the chariot, he, he tucked his, his robe uh, around him and girded it, and then he, he ran. And so the idea is, is getting rid of any excess thing that could trip you up, getting rid of anything that could be an obstacle for you, uh, girding up your loins, uh, be, be prepared for battle. And so uh, that's what, what Peter is saying here. He's saying, I, I want you to be prepared. I want you to get rid of anything sloppy in your mind, anything that's messy, anything that's going to trip you up. I want you to have a, a clear course in which to run, preparing your minds for action. Be ready for battle. Gird up the loins of your mind. And being sober-minded, that's, that's being focused. It's being awake. It's being aware and alert. It's not being uh, under the control of anything else that, that dulls your senses. A free mind, a real, true free mind. 
uh, in the positive sense, in a good way. So girding up the loins of your mind, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. And what do we do with, with the mind that is, is done in that way? A, a mind prepared, a mind girded up, a mind that is focused and alert and awake? He tells us in this next statement, set your hope fully, fully, not halfway, not partially, not compartmentalized, 100% fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing about God's grace. It's real, and it's active, and it's ongoing. Grace, I think we probably most of us know the, the general definition or, or the basic way of looking at that, that it's undeserved kindness. You've heard that many, many times throughout your life, no doubt. Unmerited favor, unwarranted. Uh, it's getting what you could never, ever deserve or be worthy of. What you could never earn, no matter how hard you worked. It's something that is outside of yourself. But it's not limited to something that we get just at the moment of salvation. The grace of God is continually given to us. And it's what sustains us. It's what holds us up. It's actually a very real, active power of God that's meant to be implemented into our everyday lives. But it's also something that we don't have the full measure of yet. In other words, we have grace for each day, and and we have grace for the present, the grace that we need, but we don't have the full weight of the grace that God has for us And we won't have it completely until Christ himself returns. So when Christ returns, he will give us the full dose of of all the grace that we will need for the rest of eternity. And the very uh, grace that we need to stand and to endure here and now until the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's given to us as well. So it's grace given to us in the present and grace that will be Uh, fully culminated in the future. And it's all tied to Jesus. We get grace by committing our lives to Jesus, surrendering to Him. That grace carries us through, and then it's as if God just gives us the, the full, the whole weight of it all at the revelation of Christ. So it's something to look forward to as well. And that's what we are to set our hope fully on, on the grace that will be brought to us in all of its fullness at the appearance of the Lord Jesus, at his second coming. So then verse 14, Peter goes on, and this is all our response to this great salvation. As obedient children, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, before you came to Christ, before you were made new before you were born again. Don't return to that way of living. All those fleshly, selfish, sinful passions that ruled you and dominated you, that you had no ability to resist or refuse, don't give yourself over to those again. Because that's another really significant thing to make sure we get about our salvation. Salvation frees us. Do you agree with that? Salvation frees us. But here's the thing. 
it doesn't free us to then go on and just to, to live however we may want. That's what we were doing before salvation. Salvation frees us to be able to say no to self and sin. Salvation frees us to be able to now choose righteousness, obedience, holiness, to say no to those passions that lead to to sin. We were helpless and hopeless before Christ. After Christ, Christ, we have every hope and every ability to resist all those things that we have been saved from. So Peter is saying, don't, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Here's a contrast. Verse 15, but in contrast to that, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy holy. So this is obviously talking about God. God the Father who called us to His Son, called us and drew us to Him for salvation. He is holy. We spent a lot of time in the last series talking about the holiness of God and and why it is absolutely impossible for us to reach His standard of absolute holiness on our own. All have fallen short, Paul said in Romans 3 of the glory or the holiness of God. No one can reach that on their own. That's why Jesus came. He came to give us the ability to be holy. He he was holy and righteous on our behalf, and He gave us His holiness, His righteousness. God is absolute holiness. And what it means for God to be holy, it means that He is absolute, perfect morality, absolute perfect righteousness, absolute perfect justice. He is everything good. And that is who we are to look at, and and that is who we are to measure our own life by. So what that means is we cannot compare ourselves to someone else. It's very, very easy, and it's very, very natural for us to look at, at this person's life and that person's life and, and then compare that to our own life and to come away saying, even subconsciously, to come away saying, I think I'm doing pretty good. I mean, look at them. Man, look at their life. Look at my life. Hmm. Yeah, compared to them, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. And it's very easy to say, I'm not like you fill in the blank. I don't do X, Y, Z, so therefore I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad off. But when you compare yourself as we are supposed to do to the holiness of God, none of us have any ground to stand on. None of us have any ability to say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Because compared to God and His holiness, we will never even come close to what holiness really is. And yet we're told to be holy. You see that tension? You feel that? Experience it? We're called to be holy as God is holy. That's the standard. But how in the world are we supposed to reach that? Well, we can't on our own. 
Thankfully, we don't have to either. More on that in just a few minutes. But this holiness of God that Peter is drawing his, his readers, his listeners to, to focus on, um, that's, that's absolutely crucial that we, we do that, that we focus on His holiness, that we take our prepared minds, our, our minds that are girded up without any hindrance, and our minds that are sober, awake, focused, alert, that we take though that clear, free, open mind that we should have, and we are to focus on the holiness of God and keep that forefront in front of us. So that we see God as He really is. That's what's so important. That we see God for who He is and what He is. And there's thankfully some really good examples of people that really saw, that really understood the holiness of God. And when they did, they were forever changed by that. Really good examples of that in Scripture. Think of Moses and the burning bush. You know, he, he saw the burning bush, the bush that was not consumed, and he went up and he said, I've got to see what this is all about. I've never seen anything like this at all before. And as he drew near the bush, God spoke to him out of the bush, and, and he said, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you're on is holy ground. You're in my presence, therefore this is holy ground now. And he revealed himself as the great I am. I think uh, after Moses, I, I think of Joshua and the captain of the Lord's army that he met outside of Jericho. And he said, are you for us or for our enemy? And the captain of the Lord's army said, neither. But as, I, as the command, commander of the Lord's army, I've come. Now take off your sandals, Joshua. The place you're on is holy ground. Both, both of these examples with Moses and Joshua were an examples of an Old Testament Christophany. It was the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, before He came as a, as a child in Bethlehem, before He was fully incarnate. He would appear many, many times as the angel of the Lord. And people that saw him and encountered him knew, knew they were encountering God face to face, and yet they did not die. We're told in, in John 1 that no one has ever seen God the Father. And yet, like Moses and Joshua and others, they still are able to see God. Well, how? It's because Jesus is the one they saw before Bethlehem. And when they saw the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Eternal Son, they were overwhelmed and overcome. They fell flat on their face. I think of Isaiah and his vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6 where he's taken to the very throne room of God and he sees the, the mighty seraphim. and They're covering their eyes because they could not stand to look at the, the sheer holiness and majesty and glory of God, even though they themselves were glorious. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as Isaiah saw this vision, he said, woe is me, I'm undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, but I have seen the King, the Lord of glory. 
Jesus transfigured before Peter, the, the one who's writing this letter, along with James and John. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and he, they saw a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, the same glory that appeared in the burning bush, the same glory that appeared in Jericho before to Joshua. They saw his glory, and they were, they were overwhelmed by it and stunned by it. And Peter, being classic Peter, spoke before he thought. And he said, Lord, it's great that we're here. Tell you what, I'll set up three places of worship, three booths, three tabernacles of worship. Three. Why three? Well, because Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus. Had Peter said, I'm going to set up a tabernacle, singular, to your glory and your honor, that would have been great. But instead he said three, as in I'm going to, I think that Moses and, and Elijah are, are equally worthy of your glory that I'm seeing right now. Uh oh. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Problem. And so the God the Father spoke and he said, This, this Jesus, Jesus, he is my beloved, my one and only unique son. Listen to him, focus on him, worship him, give glory to him, be changed by his holiness. Also, Peter, early on when he was just called to be a disciple of Jesus, when he first saw the miraculous catch of fish, you probably know the story. He and, and uh, Andrew uh, had been fishing all night long, James and John too, and they hadn't caught anything, and they came in from a, you know, a very tiring night of, of no, no fish. Jesus had been speaking, and he, he asked Peter to cast out a little bit, and Jesus got on the boat. So he could use the lake and the hills as like a natural amphitheater. And after he was done speaking, he said, Tell you what, Peter, go out again. Go out again and, and cast your net again. And Peter said, Lord, we just did this all night. We didn't catch anything. But, okay, I'll, I'll humor you. At your word, we'll do it. So he, he, they cast the, the net and they hauled in hundred, over a hundred fish. Tons and tons of fish, so much that the other boat had to come in and help them haul it all in. And when Peter saw that and knew that this was miraculous and that Jesus had commanded the fish to get in the net, he, he dropped down on his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's one of those great examples of Peter where he got it. He got it. He saw the holiness of the Lord Jesus, God the Son, in the flesh. And he saw himself. And he compared himself, not to anybody else in that moment, he compared himself to Jesus. And he said, I should not even be in your presence. The holiness of God. We need to be gripped by it, church. I want to suggest to you that, that living today in our time and in our culture and in how comfortable and convenient it is to be a Christian, we have lost something of the holiness of God. We have lost something in our minds and our hearts uh, of, of what so many that came before us had. They were gripped. They were, they were broken. They were wrecked in their being by the holiness of God. I just want to encourage you to get back to that. We need to see the, the full weight of, of how holy God is, and we need to be gripped by it. We need to be changed by that. 
It's necessary for us to be just as aware of God's holiness as Moses or Joshua or Isaiah or Peter himself. Just as aware. But also, not just aware, but applying that holiness to our own lives. Remember, we just looked at it. Peter said, As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Not just in some areas of your life. In every area of your life. In all that you are, be holy. So remember, I said there was that tension. What do we do with that? God is holy. There's no way I could ever reach His holiness. And yet I'm called to be holy, patterning my life after His holiness. What in the world? How do we resolve that tension? Well, like this. By knowing that this command that is not unique to Peter, I mean, we have this command several times throughout Scripture, be holy, be holy, be holy, pursue holiness. Let me just encourage you. That command would not be given if the ability to do it was not available. God never gives a command to us that He does not also supply the power to do it. That's how good God is. He doesn't just say, here's the standard, here's what I'm asking you to do, I know it's impossible, but go and figure it out. I'm going to sit back and just watch how this goes. No, He says, here's the command, and here's the strength, the ability to do what I'm commanding. And the way we are able to be holy as He is holy is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's how it's, it's done. God gave us the, the command, and Peter, under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, remember, who, He who called you is holy, you be holy too. And we're given the ability to do that by God, the Holy Spirit, God in us, enabling us to do what He has commanded us to do. Isn't that great? You don't have to try on your own. You are free from self-effort. That doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility. You do. So do I. We have a responsibility and we have ownership to take, but that responsibility is in choosing to yield ourselves to the Spirit. That's what, what we bring to the table. We choose to deny self, we choose to surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God to work that in us. And that's grace. That's grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the work that He does in our lives, it's grace. It's the grace that we need to be able to do what we're called to do. Now, in verse 17 of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 17, Peter says, And if you call on Him as Father, that's God the Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, which He does, we call on, we call on God as Father who, who judges impartially according to each one's, one's deeds. So he says, with that being true, that the fact that you are calling on this mighty God, this great judge, you're calling Him Father as you should, here's what we do with that. If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear 
throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear. That doesn't mean like this timid, uh, I'm scared to death, I'm terrified, I can't move, I can't speak, you know, I'm shaking. It's not that kind of fear. Not the kind of fear of like you have when you're up high somewhere, the fear of heights or, you know, the fear of the dark or fear of spiders or whatever your particular fear is. That's not what, what Peter is saying here. He's saying, when he uses the word fear, he's saying, conduct yourselves, live your life with a, a reverential awe. Be awed at the one you call Father. Uh, this deep, deep respect, this, this deep um, reverence, reverence for the one you call Father. Don't forget who he, who he is. You call him Father as you should, but remember who and what he is. He is the almighty God, the all-sovereign of the universe. Remember that. Be in all of that. Revere him. So what that means is this. You, you take all of this together, everything we've seen up to this point. Verses 13 through 17 here. Here's, here's what that means for us, practically speaking. It means a proper focus on the grace and holiness of God is foundational to everything else in the Christian life. A proper focus, being properly focused on the grace, that undeserved kindness and undeserved favor and and the, the very power of God that we need. Focus on the grace and the holiness of God. Don't, don't neglect one for the other, which we so often do. We're really good at focusing on the grace of God and neglecting His holiness. Or we can go the other way and focus so much on His holiness that if we're not careful, it can translate into legalism and we forget grace. So a proper focus on the grace and holiness of God, it's foundational to everything else in the Christian life. English Puritan Thomas Watson said, Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It is the name by which He is known. Isn't that beautiful? Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. The name by which He is known. He is holiness. God is the essence of holiness. He's everything it means to be holy. And regarding that maintaining of a a healthy fear, you know, Peter said, if you call on Him as Father, the one who judges impartially, you better conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your your exile. It's another way of saying throughout your time of life as a Christian, throughout your Christian sojourn, your Christian walk. So regarding that, that reverential awe that we are to have, um, a really good example of that, I think, is, is what we find by looking back in history um, with JFK and his son, JFK and JFK Jr. Very classic picture of JFK Jr. playing under his father's desk there in the Oval Office. Really just great, great picture. It shows how comfortable he was. John F. Kennedy was the president. I mean, he's the president of the United States, but to JFK Jr., he's, he's dad. He's daddy. And he's so comfortable with them that he could be in his office, the, the great oval office, the symbol of power, right? And he's playing under the desk. But then, 
Tragically, when JFK was assassinated, we see JFK Jr. saluting the casket of his father, which shows that he also, in that moment, as little as he was, he understood, my dad is to be respected. My dad is to be held in awe. I mean, he was the president, and he's been tragically taken. He's been assassinated. And so, even though he was daddy, he was full of, uh, just consumed with this respect and, and awe for his dad. That's a really good example, I think, of what Peter's talking about here. You call him father, but he's the one who judges all mankind impartially. In other words, don't forget, Christian, don't forget who your father really is. He is the almighty God of the whole universe. He is the one who spoke everything that is here and now and real into existence and could speak it all out of existence in in just a second. Don't forget who it is you call Father. Hold Him in awe. Hold Him in reverence. Hold Him in the position of absolute holiness that He should be held in. Well, with all that being said, now uh, I want us to focus on the reason. We, we talked about the response to, to salvation, our response, and it's, it's basically in summary, it's living obedient, holy lives. That's our response to our salvation. Because of all we've been given, we respond by being holy, by, by being obedient to the one who's called us to that salvation. Now we're going to see the reason why we should respond that way. The reason for that response. Verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Peter says, knowing, see here's the reason, knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought, you were rescued with a a high price. You were purchased out of slavery. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, your, your sinful nature, being dominated by sin, you've been set free from that. You've been rescued. You've been paid for out of that. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that's not how you were ransomed. You can, you can take the, the highest amount of money you can think of, and the, the way you were ransomed, the price of your ransom, would far infinitely eclipse the highest amount of money you could ever conceive of. Knowing you were, you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That was the price of your ransom from sin and mine. The blood of the Son of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 provides a really good um, additional statement to that effect, to that effect of, of what that means and, and what, it, what it actually did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul said, He, God the Father, made the one, that's Jesus, God the Son, who did not know sin. Sin was just as much outside of His being as it was the Father's. Jesus was just as 
perfectly, completely holy as his father. Jesus hated sin just as much as his father, but he, the father, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we, the sinner, might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means to be ransomed from sin. That's, that's what it means that Jesus spilled His precious, perfect, innocent, righteous blood to make us righteous. Here's another great statement from, from Thomas Watson, which I just gave the quote earlier from. He said this, Great was the work of creation. We all would agree with that. Great was the work of creation. But greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In the one, there was but the speaking of a word. That's creation. In the other, the shedding of blood. Wow. One time, a little boy in a very pagan country went up to a missionary that was serving in his little village, his town. And he said, I like what you say about the God of your book, but I can't see him. If I go to the temple, I get to see my God. I can see my God right there. And the missionary said to the little boy, okay, but does your God bleed? And the boy said, I don't know. So the missionary gave him a needle and said, next time you go to the temple when no one's looking, I want you to go up and prick your God with this needle and see what happens. So the following week, the boy returned to the missionary's Bible study that he had been doing, and he said to the missionary, I did it, I did it. I pricked my God. And the missionary said, did anything happen? And the boy replied, nothing. My God doesn't bleed. The missionary then said, Well, my God did, and he did it for you. My friends, our God bled, and he bled for us, and he bled to give us his righteousness. Don't ever forget what was done for you, the price of your freedom, the price of your ransom. So what all that means in summary, is this. The way we were redeemed is why we should live holy and obedient lives. The way we were redeemed is why we should live holy and obedient lives. That God the Father put all of our sin on God the Son and judged Him instead of us. All of His just wrath fell on Jesus so that it would not fall on us. And instead, all the favor of God fell on us. All the righteousness of Jesus was given to us. That's why we respond the way we should respond. In holiness and obedience. Not to get God's favor. Not to get God's love but because we already have God's favor and because we already have been given His love 
through Jesus at the cost of his life. I want to leave you with this wonderful admonition from Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it really just captures all that we've been saying in these minutes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies. That's your whole self. When, when Paul said to present your bodies, he means every part of you. Present your entire person as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age or world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's another way of saying girding up the loins of your mind, being sober in your mind, being clean and clear in your mind, by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. May that be so of us and in us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for our great salvation, all the salvation You've given us. There is truly no way of expressing how magnificent it is. There's no way we could ever adequately say thank You. There's no, uh, the, the best that we come up with to try to express gratitude would fall short. But what we can do is live our lives for you in response. A life lived in holiness and in obedience, that can be our thank you to you. That can be a praise song to you that is worthy. A life lived for you. May that be true of us. May we respond to the great salvation that you've given us, all that you've made true of us. May we respond by, by being holy, by being obedient, by, by loving you enough that we hate sin more. May we conduct ourselves with fear, as Peter said, a reverential awe for you, for who you are, for what you are, for all you've done. And may we truly be holy as you are holy by means of your Holy Spirit. I ask this for all of us. And I ask it in and for Jesus' name. Amen.